Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Uh, maybe hold your applause until uh, you find out what we're talking about. Uh, but we're continuing our series in the book of James today called Under Pressure. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to James chapter 1. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 12 through verse 18 today. So if you've got a Bible, your Bible app, Google it. James 1, 12 to 18 is where we're going to be. And if you're visiting with us or if you haven't been with us here for a while or you're new, uh, this is a great Sunday for you to be here because we're talking about sin and temptation and desire. So you know you picked the right Sunday to be here with us if we're talking about that. Um, no, but uh, we're going to talk about it in, in a very particular way because James is talking about it in this letter in a very particular way. Just a quick refresher, uh, Pastor Jeremy last week uh, introduced this series under pressure and, and talked about how James, is, this is one of the earliest letters written by a church leader to the churches around the, the Mediterranean world. And, and he's writing about a few different themes to them. And one of the themes he's writing about, like Pastor Jeremy talked about last week, was the theme of wisdom. How do we live with, with godly wisdom? What is that like? What does that look like? And what does it look like in particular to live wisely under pressure? What does it look like when the pressure's on in the heat of the moment to make wise decisions and not impulsive decisions? Make uh, wise choices that lead to life and not impulsive choices that lead uh, to death. And uh, biblical wisdom, in a nutshell, is basically about that choice, always. Uh, it's about the choice of choosing life over death. That's the, what all biblical wisdom boils down to. And you have, at, at the very root of that story, is the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. And they're faced with a choice between two trees. And that theme is, is developed and talked about throughout the whole Bible. Which choice are you going to make? Which choice are you going to make? So James kind of has that in the back of his mind and, and the whole of, of the Bible and how the Bible talks about wisdom is boiling down to these two choices between life and death. And so we're going to develop this, this theme of, of wisdom in the letter as we talk about choosing wisely when it comes to our desires or temptation and, and sin and, and what that looks like. Um, and, and so basically, we're, we're not just doing that under most circumstances. In most circumstances, generally speaking, if you're following Jesus um, and life's going well, it's a lot easier to make good decisions. But what James wants to get at is, what do you do when the pressure's really on? What kind of reactions do you have? What kind of choices do you make? Uh, what kind of things do you choose to do uh, that you might not in other situations. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And, and what uh, James wants to suggest here in this passage that we're going to read is, is that you'll generally do whatever you desire most when the pressure is on. Regardless of what your best intentions are, regardless of what you might hope to do, regardless of what the Bible says you should do, when the pressure is on, we tend to uh, do the thing that we desire the most and act on the desires that we have nurtured the most. And that outcome might not always lead to life. And so let's read James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, and, uh, and, and we'll go from there together. Very short uh, few passages. James continues and writes, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. 
So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. So let's pray before we continue. Holy Spirit, we we invite you to come and search our hearts. Know our, our anxious thoughts. Search us and know us. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness, as the psalmist said. As we, as we get into subjects of desire, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would uh, reveal to us uh, and give to us a vision of how you want us to live in wisdom in the world, uh, a way that will lead us to life and not to death. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, how many of you enjoy fishing? Any, any people enjoy fishing in here? I'm coming to learn that there's a good segment of the West Milford population that loves fishing. Uh, I live on Greenwood Lake, and uh, yesterday was the first day I really saw people fishing, like, out in force, which is a little surprising because they they tend to prefer the rainy weather uh, and and kind of the dreary weather, but I think it was so nice, like, you couldn't help but take your fishing boat out there with the trawling motor on, and and they're out, and they're just going. We have, uh, where we live uh, along the lake, there, there happens to be, apparently, I didn't know this, I learned this last summer is like really good fishing, like right along like our, our where our neighbors are and our our houses, and um, uh, they're all day long, all summer, every season. We just see these little fishing boats trolling back and forth, like really slowly, like literally, I don't know, five feet from like the shoreline. Like we'll be sitting out there on the patio, and there's this guy just right there, and I just see him like going by just above the hedge line, and so I'm just like, hey, how you doing? just like right there. Uh, and, and so they just go back and forth because the fishing is really good right there. Uh, now, I, I don't do a lot of fishing myself. Um, I, I did uh, a few times when I was a kid, but generally speaking, I think we generally know what, how fishing works, right? Uh, you've got a fishing pole, and you cast your line in, and you hope you catch something, right? But how many of you know you're probably not going to catch fish very often if you just throw in the line with a hook and no bait? right? The bait is what drags the fish in. You need the bait, and you need different kinds of bait for different kinds of fish, right? Those of you who fish, you know, you don't just, I just always assumed you throw a worm on and you can catch anything. Some fish don't like worms, apparently. I don't like worms, so that makes sense. Uh, Different fish want different kinds of bait. They're attracted to different things. They desire different things. And and when those baits are thrown in the water, ooh, they just can't help it sometimes but to grab on to that bait, not knowing what's underneath it. And and when it comes to our desires and and leading to temptation, this is actually the the picture that James is painting in this passage that we read in his letter. Uh, We're we're like fish, and we have certain desires, like the worm, or or I I have no idea what other kinds of bait are. You people who fish need to tell me and educate me on this. Whatever the other types of bait are... um, they, those kinds of bait, there are the desires, the things that like we see and we're drawn towards, and it's different for different ones of us what those desires are, but James is saying we're kind of like those fish uh, that, that are enticed by our desires, as he says, and, and because we want that desire so much, we're not really concerned about whether or not there's a hook attached to the bait, and we just grab it because we want it more than anything Else. And we, we see this kind of desire hook people in the world all the time, don't we? Uh, someone who maybe just needs to escape a problem. They're, they're experiencing hardship and trials in their life, and maybe they start drinking a little more. Uh, or, or they maybe uh, try smoking pot or something like that. They're just trying to take the edge off or other kind of pills just to, just to even them out and calm them down. They just need a minute to escape what they're experiencing. And before long, they've actually become hooked by addiction. And the bait 
and the desire was simply to escape their problems that they were dealing with. It happens in, in the world of business and politics, and believe it or not, even in the church, uh, people who have a desire to be successful, to make an impact, they, they let these ideas of success and power um, become their greatest desires and their sole drivers, and they're willing to do whatever it takes, anything, to be successful or to achieve, and there's no balance in that, and they're lured in and hooked into uh, patterns of life of extortion and cheating and uh, stealing, and they're involved, especially we see with political leaders and, and pastors even, involved in all kinds of scandals because they are focused too much on specific desires. We see this happen with even parents, believe it or not, parents in the room. You can fall into this just wanting to be a good parent. Uh, they, we desire certain kinds of bait too. We want our children to be successful, right? I want my daughter Harper, two years old, man, I want her to be so successful. I want her to flourish and have a great life. But how many of you know that at, at all costs can create situ uh, situations like the college admissions scandal that happened? Parents just willing to do whatever it takes. And sometimes their desire to see our children succeed is, is so powerful that it becomes our chief desire above all else and we're willing to do whatever it takes to get them a great score on the SAT or ACT and bribe them into any school that they want to be in regardless of what their grades actually are. Now, uh, St. Augustine was one of the earliest uh, leaders in the church, one of the most noted leaders in the early church around the uh, fourth century. He lived from, a, a, a born in about 350 AD into the 400s AD. And, and St. Augustine, before he had the saint part in front of his name, had probably the most wild uh, drug, sex, and rock and roll lifestyle you could live in the fourth century. Like, whatever the fourth century version of that is, he lived it. He had a crazy life. You can read about it. He wrote a book called Confessions. He is brutally honest about what he did and, and the kind of life he lived. And it was just a crazy life before he was following Jesus. And, and he described um, his desires, his, his just, un, un, uh, he, he couldn't satisfy his, his desires enough for, for this lifestyle he was living. Um, and what he did, uh, discovered as he's writing in this book, Confessions, and he's processing his, his journey of, of sin, and now he's, he's become a new believer, and he's, he's looking back on this, is he recognized that some of the things he desired weren't, there wasn't anything inherently wrong with some of them. And I'll explain how that look works in a minute. But what he said, what he discovered is that his desires were disordered. He had disordered desire, or in the words he used, he had disordered loves. Disordered loves were the words he used. And he loved things in a disordered way, and they led him to put priorities first that should not be first, and ignore things that needed to occupy a greater place in his life. And he says that we have these desires for some things, uh, and they're not necessarily wrong. Like, we want to be free from pain. Right? Or, or we want to see our children succeed. These desires are not evil in and of themselves. Or maybe we want to have an intimate relationship with someone. These are God-given desires in many ways. But he, but he says sometimes we idolize these desires and, and they become more important than anything else. And we're willing to get hooked by the bait of that desire and walk into sin. And this is what James is explaining to us, that temptation isn't God testing us to see if we will mess up or not. Temptation isn't a, a problem where there's a lot of people out there. The, the temptation isn't out there in the world. James is saying, and Augustine would agree, that the problem actually is in here with us. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. I just want to encourage you today. I don't know, uh, maybe I don't know your, your story. I know many of your stories, but if I don't know your story, maybe your background uh, is you were taught that God is just wringing his hands waiting for you to screw up so he can go, ha, I knew it. I gotcha. You've been found out. And I want to encourage you today, and James would, would agree with this and we'll, as we read and go, 
God does not tempt you. God's not waiting there for you to screw up so he can prove to you how terrible you are. God is not sitting there waiting for you to mess up so he can destroy you. There is someone who does that. The Bible calls him the accuser of God's people. That's the Satan. That's the enemy of God's people is the one waiting for us to screw up so he can accuse us. But that's not what God does. So I just want to encourage you as, as we talk about desire and temptation and sin and everything, God's not sitting there waiting to prove to you how terrible you are. What he is doing is no matter how difficult your life circumstances are, no matter what challenge you are, face, are facing, he wants to give you reordered desires so that you can choose wisely the way of life. And so how are we going to learn how to reorder our desires? Uh, what I want to share very briefly here is just three false beliefs about desire that baits us and that, and that can lead us to biting that hook. And then after we talk about that, I want to talk about how, how God is offering us an opportunity to reorder our desires and what that looks like. So let's look at these three false desire. First one here is that evil desire is obvious. Now, this is a false belief. These are false beliefs. And we have a false belief that evil desire is obvious. And what this means is I'm going to know, I'm going to know when it's a bad desire. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to be aware of it. And these desires to see my kids succeed, to have an impact in, on the world, these are good desires. There's nothing I need to worry about here. And, and we believe that uh, evil desire is obvious. So let's look at just a couple different examples of these, and there are others. Um, we have a desire for intimacy, like I, I mentioned before. We want to be physically intimate with someone. You know that is a God-given desire. You know the fact that you have a sex drive is a God-given desire. God gave you that. God gave you that. But when that desire gets disordered and is out of alignment and becomes your highest priority, you can fall into sexual sin. When, when that desire is not put in its proper place and is not ordered properly in your loves, as Augustine would say, we fall prey to it. So a good desire leads to a bad outcome, seemingly. But uh, there are other ones that are, are maybe even less obvious in some ways. Uh, we have a desire for provision. Did you know that Jesus said that God, your Father, will not let you go without what you need? Praise God. Praise God. We have, we have a desire to have clothes on our back, a roof over our head, to be able to put food on the table. These are all healthy desires to be responsible for the people in our lives, to be responsible to, to give them uh, food, clothing, all these things, to make sure we have that for ourselves. Those are reasonable things to want. But what happens sometimes when this desire gets disordered is, I am going to get what I need no matter what the cost. And we don't trust God to provide our needs, and we begin to take matters into our own hands, and we're greedy. If I have some good gift that I've been given, I don't want to give it to anyone else. I don't want to share this with anyone else. Sometimes my daughter's playing with a toy if she's with a, a, a friend, and She's very concerned that if she lets them use it, she won't get a turn. There's a fear in that. Don't we do that in some ways as adults as well? We, we do the same, I don't know what you're going to do with this. I, I'm, I'm concerned to give this to you. We, we have uh, other, other ways that, that that's greed that plays out. The sin of greed comes out of a, a disordered desire for to have provision. Um, we, we may end up cheating on our taxes, being dishonest about our income, extorting people maybe that work for us or in, in businesses. You know, there's a, a huge... Um, uh, investigation at the moment going on into housing projects and apartment complexes in New York City, and the owners are extorting uh, money from people and, and not fixing uh, the, the properties, and their, the living conditions are horrendous because their desire for provision is disordered, and their desire to have what they need is disordered. We can have a disordered desire of influence. I mentioned that one before too. You know you have a God-given purpose to have influence in the world. You know that as, as totally biblical. Uh, God said to Adam and Eve at the beginning uh, of the story, and Jesus reiterated it in a new way in what he called the, we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Uh, 28. And, and it's just, they both start out the same way. Go into all the world. 
Go have impact. Be fruitful and multiply, he says to Adam and Eve. Go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus says to his disciples. Reiterating that command, go into all the earth. Have impact, have influence. This is good, this is healthy. But how many of you know this desire in particular can get really disordered really quickly? And influence starts to look like pride and arrogance and power and control. I'm going to do whatever I need to do, whatever it takes to have influence. Whoever I need to push aside, uh, whatever other person that's a business competitor that I need to deal with, that I need to uh, speak bad about, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, I don't know. Whatever I need to do to get that competitive edge or whatever I need to do to make sure my name and my influence goes further than someone else's, I will do it whatever the cost. And we see, like I mentioned, pastors, governors, presidents, senators, representatives, teachers, anyone uh, that tends to be in positions of power, they're probably sometimes there because they have perhaps a disordered desire to have influence. And so uh, we get stuck in all kinds of problems. So these are, this false belief is that evil desire is obvious. None of us would say that having influence is wrong. None of us would say that the desire uh, to uh, have intimacy or, or to have provision is wrong. Uh, but what happens when it's disordered, uh, we take it to extremes. And, and we have to remember that desire, evil desire, desire that is bait to sin is not obvious. It's not obvious. And that leads us to the second uh, false belief we have about desire, and that's two, that desire is irrelevant. And what I mean by this is people who think we're basically good people, I don't have the capacity for evil. I, I, we're, I'm fine. I can make any choice I want. It's ultimately just a choice. It might have consequences or not, but it's not like life or death, whatever, you know? And, and folks like this, Believe it or not, it's, it's sometimes we're in church and we're like, how could anyone think that way? It's pretty normal to think that way in, in the world we live in and in our culture, honestly. And, and honestly, I think this gets into the church a lot, too, is, is we're not concerned about the desires because maybe we don't think that evil desires are obvious. So we're like, hey, I'm just influencing people, and we don't realize that we're uh, actually controlling people and, and uh, uh, abusing power and whatever it else it might be. Um, Desire be, being irrelevant, Augustine says this. He, he said that uh, he assumed that uh, the struggle, he was searching for why, why are people evil, why is there evil in the world? And he said he was looking everywhere for the problem to find the origin of sin and evil. He was saying, is it this, this thing in the world? Is it this philosophy? Is it, is it from this source or, or whatever? And he says that he was making a false assumption the whole time he was on this philosophical quest to find where evil is and, and where it comes from. And until he finally realized that he and all other humans actually are broken and we're all part of the problem of evil. I'm going to say something that's probably wildly unpopular or uncomfortable. I said it out loud in my office this morning and I felt uncomfortable. You have the same capacity for evil that Hitler did. You might not have the same means. You're not running a country, for example, but you actually have the same capacity for evil that someone like Hitler did. You have the same capacity for evil for, you name it, that group that you're like, oh man, they are sinners. You have the same capacity for evil and sin that they do. Why? Because we're broken people. We're broken people. And, and when we assume that we don't have that capacity, uh, or we think we're doing a better job than someone else, we actually are blinding ourselves to the bait on the hook in our own lives. So uh, just get on my soapbox for a minute. Uh, outrage culture is a thing right now. Outrage culture. Maybe it's been a time in other places, but uh, people have not had the platform of social media like they have now. And people love to get on social media or talk to their friends on the phone, whatever version of it it might be. And did you hear this thing? And did you hear what was on the news? Or did you hear what this person said? And, and, and it goes on in this, this thing. And, and what's really going on is we have this self-righteous kind of thing. And we get on our soapbox and we're outraged about it and we blast everyone else. And then we feel really good. But the problem is we've deceived ourselves the whole time into thinking, I don't have that problem. Yet we're all carrying that same problem. 
And this is a little bit of an aside, but I would just encourage us, church, when things happen in the world, when things happen in the news, when things happen in your relationship circles, come to the problem with extreme humility, recognizing that could be me next time. I think back to uh, uh, something that happened last year in, in Central Park. There was a gentleman, uh, I forget the particulars of the story, but a black gentleman bird watching and uh, a, a white woman flatly uh, accused him uh, of attacking her, calling the being video uh, of the whole thing. It was completely false. She fabricated it. And, and uh, the thing that always caught my eye with that story is the woman who filed the false police report. She said that she's like, I never thought I would be the kind of person to do something like that. That has stuck with me because I, I think no matter what it is, whether we're talking about racial issues, uh, sexual issues, whether we're talking about greed, whether we're talking about being kind to our neighbor, whether we're talking about uh, whatever kind of thing we, we could think of, we always like to assume I wouldn't be that person. Yet we deceive ourselves into thinking that that's true and, and we deceive ourselves into thinking desire is irrelevant. There's, there's nothing that this is going to do to cause life or death situations. And we step away from the wisdom of God when we do that and that when we don't allow that into, my, into our lives. Um, uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, uh, the prophet is hearing from God and God says this to him. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. One commentator on this, this passage in James says this, There are forces in us and around us that are opposed to God, and within us exists a bent to oppose God, to hide from God, to disobey James discusses this capacity for sin within us because he does not want us to fool ourselves. James doesn't want us to be fooled. God does not want us to be fooled. God does not want us to be unaware that there are hooks with really tasty bait that have been dropped in the water. And depending on how our desires are ordered could mean the difference between life and death. This is so, this, this passage from Jeremiah in particular, I've, I've chewed on it so much over the last year for myself personally. Just, I had a freak out moment when I was reading this about a year ago, just going, I don't know if my des desires and motives are pure. Who can know it? I got to do my best. I get wise counsel. I ask the Lord, is this, you know, and we do the best with that. But we've got to be honest, there's a certain, to, to a certain extent, we're kind of flying blind here. And there's a level of humility that James wants to put in us, and, and he wants us to be aware, don't step into decisions lightly. Don't be impulsive. Yes, I see you're under pressure. Yes, I see your life is difficult. Yes, I see you want to do these things, but do you understand these things are not in line with what the Lord has been teaching and what Jesus has taught us to live by? Yes, I see you think this is the next best move, but please, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. And we must remember that desire is 100% relevant. And it is not something we can simply dismiss as neither helpful nor unhelpful. Three, desire is who we are. This is the third false belief. My desire is simply my identity. My desire dis defines who I am. And this manifests itself in, in two different ways very quickly. Uh, one, it manifests itself uh, as a belief that, that God has given us desires, they are what they are, and it's his fault if I, do, if I act on these desires. Now, you might say, that sounds ridiculous. Who would do that? But when we're in the heat of the moment, when we're under pressure, a lot of times we say, God, why did you let this happen to me? And we need to zoom out and say, actually, I made this decision and this decision and this decision because I wanted this. 
Think about the Garden of, uh, of Eden story again. It's a classic example of blame shifting and blaming God and assuming our desires are who we are. Uh, God comes to Adam and say, what did you do? And he's like, this woman that you gave to me, she did this. And then the woman goes, you know, the serpent that you created did this. And they blame shift and they blame shift. And God, you know, you have a, you have a responsibility here that you need to own up to. But in reality, what did Eve uh, what did it say about Eve when she saw when she saw the fruit, uh, the fruit of the tree was desirable? That it could make one wise, supposedly, the serpent told her. And you see how false wisdom seems really good and enticing. And man, this really makes sense. And, and I could have an opportunity. Maybe even we twist it. I could have an opportunity for God's kingdom through this. Yet it's not dependent on God. So sometimes we take that desire and say, God, you put this desire in me. You put this here. Instead of recognizing that desire is, is a decision on our part and it is actually our fault. That these desires are not just who we are, but there is responsibility we have to choose whether we act on the desires. And the second part of this desire is who we are uh, is very common in our world at the moment, uh, but we have a belief that desire is the truest part of our identity. It's the truest part of who we are. And if we actually fail to express this desire, if we fail to uh, act on it in some way, we've actually limited our desires. The, the language used often is we've repressed our true self uh, we're doing violence to who we really are. And, and this uh, tells us that, this, this language further just teaches your desires are who you are. You are what you desire. You are what you feel. You are simply uh, the, the makeups of all of your impulses and desires. And what James is telling us here is no. God is a father of lights. There's no shifting or changing with him. There, there is a, a responsibility you need to take and recognize that these desires are disordered and not simply, simply something you have to live with. And when we believe any of these things, especially this third one, we, we uh, become unwilling to take responsibility for any desires in our life. And when we fail to take responsibility for desires in our life, we disempower ourselves, making it impossible for us to be changed. Okay, great. So we've got these false desires. We believe maybe the desire is obvious, we, do, we believe that desire is irrelevant, maybe. We believe that desire is just who we are. But if this is a false idea about uh, desire, and, and desire is really something that we've got to own up to and we've got to do something with, but I've got all these desires in me that are like, not pretty. I probably don't want to share, you know what I mean, with you all my desires here, uh, whatever they might be. Or like when we start to get honest, we get real embarrassed because we're like, I can't believe that I, I, I want this in my life. You ever been there? Ever been there? Like, this is embarrassing, but. So, what do we do with our desires? What do we do? Are we just stuck? Are, are, are we just supposed to go into sin management and, and just say, okay, here's the rules. I just, just don't do these things and make it through. Here we go. That just sounds exhausting. Isn't that exhausting? God did not call you to his son Jesus so you could enter into exhausting sin management. He called you into Jesus to reorder your desires and reorder your loves. Evil desires always lead us on a path towards sin and, and destruction. So what do we do? We need to either reorder or replace our desires. We need a different vision and a different focal point for our life in order to move forward. Uh, what, what do I mean by, how, how does your vision for life inform your desires? Quick story, um, not my own, but I was, I was reading a book and, and, and the author of this book told a story about his family. Uh, one of his sons was really interested in volcanoes and particularly Mount St. Helens. You ever, anyone ever been out to Mount St. Helens? Uh, I lived on the West Coast, so I was there once uh, when I was younger. I really didn't appreciate it. I didn't care. Uh, my experience was, I just didn't care. I'm like, so what? Okay, this family had a totally different experience of Mount St. Helens, and here's why. 
their, their youngest son was interested in volcanoes. He learned all these things, and he started sharing at their dinner table. What do you, do you think about this? Listen, there's, there's all these cool things about this volcano. Here's the science behind it. And then the family started just jokingly to humor him at first, started sharing in it. And then they wanted to know little facts to encourage his interest in it and stuff. And so suddenly the whole family began to have this vision for Mount St. Helens that they didn't have before, understanding how it works. And then they went there on a trip and they said it was the best vacation of their family's life. And it had nothing to do with the location, because honestly, I've been there, it's just like desolate, and the trees are finally starting to grow back. It was a violent explosion when that volcano went off. It leveled everything. So it's kind of boring in some ways. But they had reoriented their desires as a family. They had spent time meditating and chewing on it and thinking about it and understanding about volcanoes. And so they had this whole backdrop, this whole vision for what it was like to go to Mount St. Helens. And then they were there. They were able to fully live in, in all of the joy of being on that vacation. That's it set in contrast to my experience where I didn't know anything about it. And I just went there and I was like, okay, I'm more interested in something else. My desires were different. So if we're following Jesus, like James is saying, uh, we need to have our desires reoriented uh, through a process of our spiritual formation, through our discipleship, through what we are engaging with, what kind of stuff we're thinking on, meditating on, studying, praying into, the kinds of conversations we have. This is what helps to reshape our desires. Think about it this way. A fish is only going to bite the worm on the end of the hook if it's hungry for that worm. Otherwise, you ain't catching anything. And, and what God wants to do with us is, is through a process of reordering our desires, uh, he wants you to begin to live from a totally different place where you're not just like trying to, oh man, I gotta stay away from all these things because I totally would fall into temptation or sin with whatever it is because I know all these desires are in there. Instead, we're saying, let's actually just deal, deal with the desires. This is what the Pharisees got tripped up with Jesus on. He, he hung out with the prostitutes and the sinners and everything, and they were really uncomfortable with that, probably because they had disordered desires, and it would have been really hard for them to hang out with people that would have influenced them more than they were influencing. Jesus had his loves in order. He had his desires in order, and he was able to very comfortably go into those places and truly love people because he had no question about where his desires truly were. So for us, very simply, just three steps I want to I give you for uh, reordering our desires. And you're going to start like this. Here's, here's what we do with these desires. First, identify the desire. Really simple. You can ask the question, what are you hungry for? And in addition to that, what are you nurturing in your life? Great example of this. Um, I, I'm, I'm teasing you a little, Adam, because I know you, you just bought a boat, but uh, a, a, a last summer, towards the end of the summer, or, or excuse me, towards the beginning of the summer, said, oh, you live, you live on a lake now, you, go, you know, West Milford, everyone owns a boat. I'm like, yeah, we don't need a boat. Like, we're coming from Rockland County, like, there's no lakes by us, like, no one's on a boat all day. So then, all summer, I'm around people who have boats, I'm around people who talk about their boats, I'm around people who go out on their boats, I see my neighbors going out on their boats every day. By the end of the summer, I'm going, do I need a boat? What am I nurturing? What kind of, what kind of, now I'm not going to get a boat probably realistically. I don't know when I'd be on it, but what, what am I nurturing in that time? What, who are the people I'm around? What, what are those desires nurturing in me? Are they nurturing me towards that boat or towards something else? What, what's the bait on the end of the hook? Are, are these desires that I have nurturing me towards that or are they nurturing me towards a new vision of following Jesus? So what are the desires? You need to identify those. And be brutally honest. If you honestly answer that question, allow people into your life to help you answer that question, really allow the Holy Spirit speak, search my heart, know my, my anxious thoughts and my wicked ways, you'll, you'll find the desires and how they're disordered. I guarantee you. And some of these desires need to be starved. So as much as like, this is, we don't take questions, but yeah, what you're, you're raising your hand.
That's cool. Adam just invited you out on his boat, everyone. Adam just invited you on his boat. Uh, that's what I heard. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Yes, but, but like our, our desires like this, our desires, when, they're un- when you recognize, oh, I've been nurturing this and this is the path it's leading me on, you actually have to starve that desire. So something that's actually maybe good from God in one sense, you have to starve it because you're not actually hungering for it in a Christ-like way. And so it might feel unnatural for a season, like, but this is good, I, I don't want to totally reject this because it's supposed to be okay. I'm like, don't fool yourself. You know where this desire is leading you. Starve it. Number two, you then need to understand how that desire is forming you. This goes back to that Mount St. Helens story or, or, or picturing the, the boat. How are these conversations and this desire, how is it shaping your life? How is it shaping your thinking? Are you starting to go, do I need a boat? Are you starting to go, hmm, do I, do I need to spend as much time like in prayer as I thought I did? Or do I need to report my taxes properly, whatever it might be. I don't know. But it doesn't start with, I'm going to do that. You entertain the thought. So we need to really be honest. How are these disordered desires shaping me and forming me? We get hung up on the do's and the don'ts, uh, a kind of rule-following religion a lot, and and we forget to have the space to ask those deeper questions, which is really what's driving our, our walk with Jesus. How will this form me? How will this shape me? What will this do to me? What kind of person will I become if I continue to do this or think about this or act on this? Will I become full of love and joy and peace in the, whole, in the Holy Spirit? Or, or am I going to become bitter, envious, angry, anxious, rude, greedy? And then finally... You need to reorder and replace the desires. How do you reorder and replace desires? First, there's repentance involved. Jesus, I have put this desire way too high on the priority list. And I see what it's doing to me. I see how it's forming me. I see how it's shaping me. And I'm, I've been taking matters into my own hands when it comes to this desire too long. And I haven't been trusting you. I repent. I confess my sin. I want a rightly ordered desire, Jesus. Give me a vision for your good gifts, for what you've given me, how to walk in good desire, in good ordered desire. And when, uh, after, after worship, we're going we're gonna to pray, pray that together, that prayer. But James says at the very beginning, encompassing this conversation about desire. He says right at the beginning and then at the very end, first he says in verse 12, he says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Man, what do you do when the pressure's on? Watch this desire thing, but I want you to know that God is going to bless those who patiently endure when the pressure's on. You're going to be happy. You're going to find true flourishing if you endure when the pressure's on. He says, afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That's a new vision, new vision for what your life could be like. We're not, we're not looking towards the, the vision of this desire that I'm hungry for, but we're looking towards this vision of if I endure, there's a crown of life for me, for making wise decisions. And then James closes this section by saying in verse 16, so don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't be misled by your desires. Don't be confused with what they are or what they aren't. Whatever is good and perfect, good desires, true desire, whatever's good and perfect is a gift coming to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes like our desires. He doesn't cast a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. I I love this. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. I want you to see this. Desire, 
James said just a couple of, of sentences before, desire, when it's nurtured, it gives birth to what? Sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, it gives birth to death. That's one family line that you can be a part of. Letting evil desires be the seedbed of your life and not pruning that is going to grow and grow until it gives birth to sin and gives birth to death slowly over time as you nurture it. It's not going to change in a day, over a week, over a month, over a year, over a lifetime. But then he says, this is one family tree you can look at, but, but here's the family tree you're a part of, and this is where I want to leave us and encourage you today. He said that God chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. You see, your seedbed for, for growing doesn't have to be your disordered desires. It can be instruction straight from God himself and from the scripture, from his living truth. And he says, out of that, he said, we are, have become his prized possession. We've become his children. So you can be this people that under pressure chooses ultimately death through our twisted desires, or you can be people who are born of God from him speaking his gospel message to us. I, I think this is uh, shown beautifully in, in one of the Psalms, Psalm 63. And the psalmist says this, listen to the desire, and, and John, if you want to come up, we're going we're gonna to close in a minute, but I want you to hear the desire in someone who's seeking uh, the word of God as the seedbed for their life to reorder their desires. He says, oh God, you are my God, I earnestly search for you. What kind of things do you earnestly search for in your life? Is it God? My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Do you desire God that way? What in your life are you desiring that way? He says, I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. I've seen a vision of who you are. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. What do you desire like that more than life itself? He goes on, I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. Listen to this desperation, this desire, this obsession with God. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. He's saying, you're the one I trust to bring these desires to holy fulfillment. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. This is a picture of rightly ordered desire. This is a vision like James is trying to give us of what it means to have God give birth to us by his true word. And so every one of us has a choice. What do you do under pressure? Are, are you going to do what just ever feels natural? What, whatever you're used to? You, you say, well, this is how I've always done it. That probably means you need to change what you're doing. None of us are born on this, this earth with a blank slate and, and we learn all the correct desires. Whatever you've been nurturing and cultivating, you're going to act on in those moments of pressure. And James here is saying to us, no matter how difficult the choice is that you are facing, he knows you're under pressure. He knows this is challenging. It might be even unexpected circumstances in your life. He's saying, no matter how hard what you are facing is, you have a God who has put his true word in you. You have a God that is actively at work to reorder your desires. You have a God that is actively at work giving you the gift of wisdom. Not going, I can't wait till you screw up. Ha, got you. He's saying, no, I put wisdom in you. You're being born of God by my words spoken in and through you. 
the good gift of wisdom has been given to your life. So no matter how hard your life may seem, no matter what challenges you are going through, there is a way forward because God has given you wisdom. God has given you wisdom. And he longs for you to grab hold of his vision for rightly ordered desires in your life. Let's stand. I want us to just kind of seize on this moment right now. And if, if you're like, I've got some disordered desires, let's be honest, I, I think we all do. But, but I want to just lead you through that prayer of repentance I prayed earlier. And, and just begin to cry out to God, reorder my desires. Be honest, I, I used to pray a prayer actually when I was younger. I, I used to say, God, I don't want you. Help me want to want you. I used to pray that a lot. There was something in me uh, as like a college student, young, uh, young adult where I was like, I don't want, there's nothing in me that just wants to follow God like this and, and, and have my desires ordered by him, honestly. But I want it. God, help me want to want you. So I just, I just want us to pray this prayer of repentance. So if you're like, I've got disordered desires, I gotta go after this. Would you just pray this out loud with me? Jesus, I've put this desire way too high on my priority list. I've been taking matters into my own hands. And I haven't trusted you when it comes to my desires. I want rightly ordered desires. Give me a vision for your good gifts of desire. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.